Well, thank you this morning um, that Jerry Blassie gave us here with us for Soteria, your friend, and has been, I guess, now for eight years since we began. His ministry and personal meeting, if you don't know my story, uh, when my father was 19, uh, he was convicted of a nonviolent felony and spent 17 months in prison. And that reality for him marked the rest of his 56 days. He never was able to escape the stigma entirely, even in the day when there weren't digital background checks and other things. He would get jobs and lose jobs, and it was, it began to, you know, shape him. It actually nurtured him in some sense in a life of feeling like a second class citizen. So, Jerry's ministry uh, that he shares with so many uh, is, is, is important to me. Uh, not only personally, but it's important to our society. So, we are just so thankful that you're here, Jerry. Come on, brother. Um, let's give him a hand. Um, Jerry, Organization. 
I'm born and raised right here in, in Greenville. Um, people always ask me, Gary, why are you helping people who are getting out of prison? So I'm glad you asked. In 1995, I was given a 20-year prison sentence for distribution of cocaine. And um, it, was, it was hard for me. It was my second time being arrested. The first time I got arrested, I only served four months. And you would think I would learn the first time, right? But, but being a, a, a black man from the South, growing up in the inner city, it's tough. Um, although I was uh, in college the second time I got arrested, um, and I was studying to be an architect, um, I had 20 years. They, they gave me 20 years. And um, the only thing that helped me in prison was the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No programming, nothing. I decided that I was going to do 20 years, I was going to do it with Jesus. And I only served three and a half years on a 20-year prison sentence, which is a miracle. Even today, people still cannot understand how we got out so early. I was talking to one of the deputy directors who gave him a tour of our facility. And he was like, you did how many years on 20 years something? Three and a half years. How did that scratch your head up? Like, it was Jesus. And when you say it was Jesus, people are like, come on, who'd you pay? Who was your lawyer? You know, no, it was Jesus. What? Come on, man, give me something. No, it was Jesus. Because I got up every morning, 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I read my Bible. I studied. I prayed. I drummed. And I listened. And it got me through the system. And so, for three and a half years, every day, I journaled about what I was going to do when I got out of prison. I wrote the vision to Soteria for three and a half years, every day while I was in prison. Habakkuk 2 says, write the vision down and make it plain so that those who read it may run with you. And when I read that scripture, something hit my heart. Because nobody was going to believe me. You're serving a 20-year sentence. You know, what are you going to do? But when I had it written down, I was short of people, they started believing me. Me and about nine other guys would pray every night in the day room, in the prison, to be released. And we made it. So in March of 1999, Soteria Community Development Corporation was formed. Uh, in June of 99, we had our charter ready to do my property work. Had no money, had nothing. Just that didn't matter. But I knew God had given me the So our organization helped me and women who were getting out of prison. We have a one-year facility where guys that come out and stay with us for one year. They take financial literacy every Saturday morning. They do life skill classes, have a mentoring program. We even write them before they get out of prison uh, to come to our fill an application out and there's a one-page essay uh, that they have to write about the short-term and long-term goal plan. And we take that essay and we do a one-year project plan. We have a good job when they get out, housing, we buy them clothes and shoes, all of the basic necessities they need until they get a job. The first 30 days we don't allow them to work, they work in our wood shop. We have a business called Soteria at Work. We tear down old buildings and houses and we reclaim the wood and build beautiful furniture from it. And the guys working there for the first three days just to get their bearings right when they first get out. Some of them work there full time, some of them go work in the community as a small business. So this is what we do to help men and women who are getting out of prison um, to restore, to, to, to be restored and become productive citizens. So I just want to give a little background about our program and what we're doing and how long we've been doing. We're one of the oldest reentry organizations in the state. We are one of the oldest who've been here. So what is Second Chance Month? 
Second Chance Month is a month observed in the United States during the April since 2017. It's a nationwide effort to raise awareness of 48,000, 48,000 collateral consequences that continue to punish people when they are released from prison. Things that will unlock um, um, second chances for people uh, who have completed their sentences um, to become an adult citizen. This effort is led by Prison Fellowship, the nation's largest nonprofit serving those in prison, the formerly incarcerated and their families. So Prison Fellowship spearheaded the Second Chance Month movement. Every year, over 640,000 people are released from state and federal prisons. More than 70 million Americans have some type of criminal record that creates significant barriers to employment, economic stability, and successful reentry into our society. Thousands of legal and regulatory restrictions prevent those individuals from assessing employment, housing, voting, education, and business licenses, and other basic opportunities. Because of these barriers, nearly 75% of the people who are formerly incarcerated are still unemployed a year after being released. I was sharing earlier about the 48,000 collateral consequences in our nation that bar people from jobs, employment, and things like that. In South Carolina, there are 7,000 collateral consequences. 7,000 things for a person who get out of prison and bar you from. One of them in South Carolina is well, it's a nation too, but when I was released from prison, I wanted to go back and finish my degree in architecture. I could not get a pale grant because of my felony drug conviction. Not a rape, not a murder, not a robbery, but a drug conviction. It's crazy that you can murder or rob or rape somebody and go to college, but you sell drugs, you can't. But I don't think any of that stuff is right, but you know, we need to work on our system. So I, I got along, went to school, and figured out that I couldn't get licensed as an architect in South Carolina because of my profession. So I decided to continue in the nonprofit work. And I'm so glad I did because I love doing this work and I love being here with you. And Seth, I love being your friend. Thank you. We must rethink the existing criminal justice system in whom we send to prison and for how long. Why do we give people so much? What's the use of giving somebody 40 years or 20 years? Wow. I know for me, I learned everything I need to learn in the first six months of being incarcerated. So the other 19 and a half years, what was I going to do? You know, we give people entirely too much time. But how do we stop that? How do we stop that? You have a voice. I believe the church is one of the most powerful institutions in our nation. But sometimes we don't use our power. We come here on Sunday mornings and we hear the word and we go out. Now, this church is doing some great work, but, but there are so many churches that don't understand the criminal justice system. I believe we all need to get involved in that system. When, when I was at a big church, every politician would come to our church when they were running for office. Why? Because there are thousands of people who vote. Why? We have a voice. And so I want the church, we need to start using our voice. I'm going to read this sentence so I can put all this in its context. We must rethink the existing criminal justice system whom, uh, in whom we send to prison for how long. How unaddressed trauma and abuse create pipelines to incarceration. Unaddressed trauma and abuse. About 70% of people in prison have some type of diagnosed or undiagnosed criminal illness. 
I'm familiar. How people are treated while incarcerated. How prepared they are to re-enter society once they have served their time. And how the racial inequities that lead to a disproportionate number of incarcerated people of color and other underserved groups. Now this thing of mass incarceration is crazy. I don't want to insult anybody intelligence. But mass incarceration is a term used by historians and sociologists to describe the substantial increase in the number of incarcerated people in the United States prisons over the past 40 years. Over the past 40 years, the incarceration rate in America has increased by over 500%. We incarcerate more people in our country than any other country in the world. In South Carolina, the incarceration rate has increased over 700%. There were about 1,200 people in our state prison during the 1970s. We've had upwards of 30,000 people in our state prison in the last five years. Mass incarceration is a human rights issue. Impacts over 2.3 million adults and youth and families and victims. What am I saying? Right now, in America, there's 2.3 million people locked up in our jails and prisons. 2.3 million. One in six white males have a conviction. One in 36 Hispanic males and one in 16 black males. Over 70 million people in our country have some type of criminal conviction. 70 million. The lifetime likelihood of a male born out in 2001 that the day will go to prison one in 17 white males, one in six Hispanic males, one in three black males have a likelihood of going to prison. Now that's criminal. The cause for incarceration of a person in 2021 in the state of South Carolina was $30,187 to incarcerate an individual for one year in our state. The average state is four years. We're spending an upward of $121,000 to incarcerate one person for four years. The count in June of 2021 was about 15,540 people. We are spending almost a half a billion dollars a year just in our state prisons. If we add the jail in the federal system, we're spending a billion dollars a year in our state to incarcerate our citizens. Then we release them with no training and no resources. And then with the recidivism rate, they go back to prison and then we're spending another 30,000. Something is wrong with that picture, America. Something is wrong with that picture, South Carolina. Something is wrong with that picture, Greenville. We incarcerate in Greenville, South Carolina. We are the number one committed county. We, we get about 1,100 people returning back to our county every year, that's about 75 people per month that are coming back to our county for resources. Over the last 10 years, we've been in the top three to commit more people to the Department of Corrections than any other county in South Carolina. So I want to jump back into my scripture for a moment and just um, talk for a minute. Um, I don't have time to preach, but I'm going to read some scripture, okay? Maybe we, I can come back in about two hours. <laughs> so um, I'm going to start over here with um, Micah in 6 and I'll go to Luke. 
want to put verse 8 back in its context. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint. The Lord is talking to Israel, and he's referring to the mountains. And as I looked at this, I'm like, you know, mountains mean a lot in the Bible, but I'm trying to figure out what are you, who are you talking to right now? He's talking to the nation. The mountain majesty and the you know, mountain has, you know, has great uh, symbolism in the Bible, but in this context, I believe he's talking to the land. And I've seen in, in places where mountains may refer to a government system. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against you. And when you read 
kids are. I go to church on Sunday because my parents went, oh, we just go, we have to go. But you see, I need a savior. I need healing. And I was looking for something. And when I would get up at 4.30, 5.30, 6.30 in the morning in prison cell, I was serving a 20-year prison sentence, and I need delivery. And when I found out that Jesus was the healer, I want him. And when I found out that he could deliver me, I want him. And that leads me over to Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Jesus walks into the synagogue, he opens up the Bible, and he begins to read about himself. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I believe that if we preach the gospel to the poor, they will not be poor. The gospel is rich. See, I've been in places where there was a prosperity gospel. I've been in places where you name it and claim it. But I'm in a place now to where I get this rich word and it changes me. He's everything. He's everything. He's everything I need. And he says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And in one translation it says to proclaim liberty the prison. That's all I need to see. This God can get me out of here? But it's not about just getting out of here and back to the same thing because I remember there was a time when I first got saved. It was like, I'm going to believe in Jesus and he's going to get me out of here and I'm going to go back to sell the little girls on the street corner. But he captivated me. He got my heart. And I realized there was more to life I realized there was more to life than drugs, more to life than running women, more to life than going to the club anymore. Then he says, in the recovery of the sight to the blind. Not only will he get me out of poverty, not only will he heal me, not only will he break me out of this prison, but he'll let me see him. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And see, if you've never been oppressed, you don't get this. See, not only was I oppressed, but my ancestors were oppressed. See, there's a whole line of oppression in those of us who are black and brown. So we see this thing totally different. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Those of you who understand the Bible, I believe that this is the year of Jubilee. Jesus is our Jubilee. This is Second Chances. I'm here today to talk about Second Chance Fund and what America is acknowledging in America for people with criminal backgrounds. We got something better than that. We got Jesus. And we don't have to take one month of the year to celebrate. We can celebrate every day our second chance. We, we, we can celebrate every day the thing that Jesus has given us, new life. And so I'm so very thankful that we're able to have a God and a Savior in Jesus Christ that gives us second chances and 
men and women who come back to, to Greenville and whose interior has helped over 5,000 men and women in the last 20 years have came through our doors and we've been able to help them become business owners, homeowners, uh, people are getting their kids back, women who've lost their children or being able to go to DSS and get their children back. And it's all because of people like you. The resources that you give to help the interior, helping the men. And I'm so thankful I have a few of our men uh, here on the second service, some of them here in the first service. And I'm thankful for you guys. Thank y'all for being a part of the program and doing it. It's not easy. It's hard. Y'all know it's hard. Um, and so thank y'all so much. Um, what I've done, and my daughters are here, Grace and Riley, thank y'all for coming. Um, when I first started Satira, they were not even born. They didn't, they didn't get to come into the house when the lights were off. When the power man turned off my power because I couldn't afford to pay the bills because I was too busy out working and helping other people. Loving other people more than I love myself. Giving to other people more than I gave myself. But then I learned about it. Actually, the work 
Mary belongs to me and I to him. And uh, we belong to this neighborhood. These guys are, you could walk there in 10 minutes. They're over in, in Co-Mill. And so they are, they are our So I want to just, I want to say that to say every time we're, we're reaching out to you to help us continue to be generous, for you to be generous, it's because we believe in the work that guys like Jerry and Sotiri do. We believe in partnership without ownership. We don't need to come up with our own prison ministry. We've got one that's just going gangbusters and doing a great job. We're thankful for you. So I want to ask you guys to pray for Jerry. So if you wouldn't thank just extend your hand in this direction. Lord, we believe right now that you have given Jerry an anointing to do this work. You've anointed him to declare the day of the Lord. You've anointed him to work for a ministry that cancels death, that cancels criminality, and cancels uh, the word that our society uh, speaks over our men and women. Thank you, Lord, that you're at work again. So just feel the fresh, little protective, protect this ministry. We know that the enemy hates this ministry, hates anything that is going to rebuild and, and recast the lives of people we love. And I pray, Lord, you give them everything they need. We pray that you help us with a great spirit of generosity to grow our church so that we can help with this work. That's a huge part of why we need this. When the gospel becomes uh, our effort and it becomes our giving, that's when it can really be more than we can ask for that. We want that Lord. Everything that you desire, we will be fine. Thank you for your blessings today. Thank you for your being here. We're so serious. God is here.